Welcome to this episode of the Essential Church Podcast, an ongoing conversation about some of the most important issues facing the local church today. I'm your host, Andrew Arndt, along with Brady Boyd, senior pastor here at New Life Church, joined today by Daniel Grothy. Guys, spiritual authority is a topic that is likely to send shivers down the spine of a lot of people. For a lot of folks, at least that I've talked to, the term itself conjures up all kinds of negative images. So it would be easy to think, well, maybe that's an outmoded thing. We can kick it to the curb. But when you read the scriptures, it's just there from top to bottom. Jesus says, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. And then he gives it to the church. And delegated human authority exists in the institution known as the church. So It's a significant biblical concept, and I think that we need to fight to keep it pure and vibrant in the church. So maybe before we get into some of the details, I'm wondering if we could step back. And Brady, this has been a subject that's near and dear to your heart. So maybe can we define what do we mean by spiritual authority and how it works in the church? It's just, uh, to me, it's very simply an awareness that God has placed people in my life to help guide me toward the place that the Lord has directed me. I know that even sounds complicated, but quite honestly, it takes more than just me to get to where God's sending me. It takes other people to come alongside me, and it's for my benefit that people have been sent into my life. I think it all starts with the idea of marriage. I mean, you think about why God instituted marriage among us. I think marriage is a place where we're stretched and matured and held accountable. It's where we grow up. It's where we're shaped and defined uh, a lot of times in our faith. You think you love Jesus until you have to serve another person more than yourself, and suddenly you are accountable to another human life. And if that's not enough, the Lord sends you babies and children into your homes. And along the way, throughout life, it seems like it's a constant journey of bringing ourselves into this place of authority and accountability, not so that God can lord over us and be the evil king that's exerting his dominion over us and treating us like slave or bondholders or somehow, but it's actually for our benefit. It's because of the frailty of human life. It's because of our brokenness and our sinfulness that we actually need some people around us. And for me, I need a great number of people around me to help me to see the blind spots that are inherent in all of us. And so this idea, when you say spiritual authority, uh, I think you said it pretty quickly a minute ago that church was designed to have delegated human authority. I actually think most people don't agree with that, and that's actually hurting our churches in America today. There is no sense of delegated human authority. We have created an entire generation of consumer believers who come to church because it's convenient or feels good, and the moment someone begins speaking directly into their behavior or into their attitudes or challenging some of their their long-held beliefs, they flee to the next church down the street, which in my opinion has damaged the gospel message on the earth today. And so I think this is something that's going to require probably more than wood podcast to unpack today, but I want to start the conversation, especially among young leaders. So if you're a leader today and you're in your 20s and 30s, this is not a topic that's being taught very much. I can remember in my 20s and 30s that it was already becoming a sensitive topic, that a lot of young leaders would bolt for the door when some older guy or older woman would stand and talk about this topic, because it was never really brought up in a way that was life-giving. It was meant to control or suppress when actually it's meant for us to thrive and multiply when it's taught correctly. What are the reasons that you think people aren't talking about this? Like, why is this a concept that's being jettisoned from the church and being sidelined in our culture? What's going on? Yeah, I think the hyper-individualistic, I can write my own story, I can live my own truth. You know, I'm in charge of my trajectory. I think that has gotten into the water, 
of our society. And I think if you look at Jesus himself, uh, it's hard for Christians to not say yes to spiritual authority if you just look at Jesus who says, I only say what I hear my father saying. I only do what I hear my father doing. And for me, I grew up with great parents. Thankfully, I had the gift of great parents. And so for me, I've never ever wanted to direct my own life. I always felt like there was the safety of, the blessing of people around you, protecting you and guiding you and shaping you. And so for me, you look throughout Elijah with Elisha, you look with Paul and Timothy, you read the Proverbs and the multitude of counselors, the war is won. Guys, there is safety and protection and blessing if we will just receive the gift. I love that, Daniel. You talk about how this whole idea of delegated authority is really rooted in the Godhead himself, you know, that God the Father has delegated authority to the Son who's given it to us. So the universe has a kind of hierarchy order. to it. It has order to it. It has grades to it. Brady, I've heard you say that when it comes to spiritual authority, that you only have as much authority as you're willing to submit to. Can you unpack that statement? Well, everyone wants to be in charge. Uh, there's a kind of a flawed definition of leadership, that leadership means you're in charge, that you have all these responsibilities, you have the power, you have the ability to make all the decisions, you know what is right versus wrong. And that is a really uh, flawed definition of leadership, even by the definition that Jesus gave us. I believe that delegated spiritual authority is given to us when we are found trustworthy by the Lord. God wants to trust us with leadership, but God cannot trust us with leadership if we're not willing to serve our way into leadership. And this is one of the things that Jesus really confronted in his 12 disciples. He was constantly telling them, do not fight your way to the top. Don't demand to be in charge. Don't demand the spotlight. If you want to be great, you must serve your way. Don't go to the front of the table at the banquet. Go to the end of the table and ask to come forward. So Jesus was constantly uh, washing their feet when they didn't want their feet to be washed. I mean, this is just a fundamental teaching of Jesus. And so I believe the people that God can trust on the earth with real significant spiritual authority are the people that he can trust to submit. And I find that people that abuse authority have never really been abused by authority. I mean, listen, when you understand the weight of leadership and how painful it can be to other people, and when you've been hurt by that pain of leadership, of flawed leadership, you tend to grow up and realize that leadership is actually a gift and a blessing. It is a huge responsibility. It is not status. It's not some kind of badge that we put on. It's actually a gift from the Lord to bless and to serve other people. And when you have felt the weight of it and you know how powerful it is, the thing that you're carrying, you actually want to treat it more as precious cargo than as some kind of badge of honor. I love that. You're making a distinction here between really the way that the world thinks about authority and really, frankly, the way that a lot of people in the church think about authority, that authority is for lording over versus the Jesus definition, which is that authority is given in submission to authority and it's given for the purpose of lifting and blessing. So it's given for the purpose of serving. That gets me to the next question that I'd like to ask. How do we know when we survey church culture, maybe even families, but we're talking about church here. How do we know when we're surveying church culture, whether spiritual authority is functioning the way that it's supposed to or not? Like what are the signs that there's a healthy culture of spiritual authority happening? Well, I think when everyone is open about where they are, I mean, I wrote down three things that we need input and, and oversight into. And I know for me, these are constant questions that I'm asking. And first of all, to answer your question, if 
you're talking more about the person who gave the sermon than about the Christ that was preached in the sermon. You're in a church that where there's bad authority. When the spotlight is constantly on the individual talent rather than on the resurrected king, you need to flee. You need to go to another place. There's a cult of personality, in my opinion, in the American church that has hurt us. Yes. When uh, if you go out into the lobbies of a lot of churches, they're talking more about the person who just gave the sermon rather than Christ. And when that becomes true in a church, I can tell you that that person, the leaders of those churches are probably not submitted to really healthy biblical authority because healthy biblical authority actually moves you out of the spotlight. It actually reduces the amount of prestige that is inherent with talented people. It actually pushes people in front of you. It actually takes uh, the weight of all of that responsibility off of you and it starts getting shared with other people. You see other people being elevated. You got to see other people being promoted. You see other people being used. But if there is a singular personality that's dominating the landscape of your local church, I can promise you that healthy, delegated, biblical, spiritual authority is not in place. And I know that's strong, but that's the strength that I feel it. I feel that we're in a dangerous place in America where personalities have really dominated the church culture, and we don't even know what it means to be a servant leader anymore. We know what it means to be a celebrity leader, but I don't know if we really know what it even looks like anymore to be a servant leader. On the day that we're recording this podcast, it was just announced that Billy Graham died. It's not lost on me that today, as we're recording this podcast, that we're mourning the loss of one of the great servant leaders that we've ever had in our American culture. Here's a guy that served nine presidents, was in the White House, who could have been a bona fide spiritual rock star if he had wanted. But you see Billy Graham constantly pushing himself out of that spotlight and humbly coming and serving those presidents. And he didn't want, in fact, the first time he was really seen as the advisor to the president, it broke his heart. You read his biography, it broke his heart when people started seeing him as this celebrity kind of persona. I think those kinds of men are so hard to find. And it breaks my heart that we have this dearth, this lack of humility now in the local church. And it seems like more and more people are looking for the aroma of personality rather than the aroma of Jesus. I totally agree with that. And in some circles in the church, it's thought that the bigger the ego gets, the personality of the central leader gets, the better the church will do. So in some ways we're like incentivizing this really bad state of affairs. Um, Brady, I want to ask you, you've got these few things written down that you wanted to share with us, but when you think about healthy spiritual authority in your own pastorate and in this community, what are the areas that you're looking personally for oversight in? Where do you want people speaking into your life? How is this working for you? Totally. And I, I, first of all, everybody probably listening to the podcast, especially leaders, think they're submitted to authority. But the only way you really know if you're submitted to spiritual authority is if somebody can tell you no. If you cannot be told no, if there's not anybody in your life who can say no, and you won't at least pause and consider it. I, you know, I tell people all the time that there, I have some really good mentors in my life, and if any of those men told me, Brady, don't do that, I would pause, I would stop, I would hit the brake, and I would think there was probably six or seven people in my life Six that I know I can name, six people, including my wife, who is number one, Pam, my wife. If my wife said, Brady, don't do it, I would not do it until we prayed together and thought about it. And there are probably five or six other men in my life who, if they said no, I would not do it. Okay, that's the first way that I determine if I'm under authority, okay? 
But there are three things that I want them looking into, and we have to give permission. Listen to all the leaders that are listening to me. You will never have spiritual authority until you make a purposeful effort to give permission. You have to look someone in the eye and say, please ask me these following questions. If you don't ask, if you assume it, you will never have it. So for example, Robert Morris is one of my friends. I have asked Robert Morris and Tom Lane, who are both pastors at Gateway Church in Dallas-Fort Worth, they would not mind me naming their name. If either one of those guys knew something was wrong in my marriage and they told me that there was something wrong in my marriage, I would stop and get that place of my marriage fixed. But I have asked them. I have said to them, Pastor Robert, Pastor Tom, please, 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 if you see anything wrong with my marriage, would you bring it up to me? So the first area is your personal life. Who can speak to you about your marriage? Who can speak to you about the way you're raising your children? Uh, Just about your own personal walk with Jesus? The other day, I was on the phone with one of those guys, and he said to me, Brady, are you still in love with Jesus? It was so good. Mm -hmm. You know how how rare it is for somebody to actually ask me that? People assume that I'm in love with Jesus because I'm the pastor of a church, right? I preach on Sundays. I lead people in communion. But it was so refreshing to me that someone who cared about me, Mm -hmm. who loved me, he was not looking to get information on me. He deeply cared about me. He said, Brady, do you really love Jesus? And I went, oh. Thank God, yes, somebody cares enough about me to ask me that. Do you know how many pastors are living with the torment that they know to be true in their heart that they're really not in love with Jesus, Mm -hmm. but they're faking it on Sunday? And if somebody would ask them, they would confess, I'm really not in love with Jesus. I'm in a dry spot right now. My faith has waned. And it would save them if they had someone like that to confess to. Fortunately, me answer the question, yes, I'm really in love with Jesus. And I was able to tell him that, that I'm having great prayer time. I just came through a season of fasting that was good for me and that it was helpful. And I'm hearing the Lord's voice on some key issues. But he asked me. It was so beautiful. It was powerful. See, that's not dominating me. That's not lording over me. That's serving not, you. Yes, yeah, serving me. Exactly, Daniel. And I love the way you, Daniel, as a young leader, model this. Daniel's always going out to lunch and dinner and taking these elderly men in our church out. And Daniel asked the questions. What do you see in my life? How can I be married better? How did you prepare for retirement? What did you do when your kids were little that you really thought was a good idea? And Daniel's always cultivating and mining out this kind of wisdom about mm-hmm. his personal life. If every young leader would just find one or two people and have these kind of conversations, it would save us a lot of headlines in the next 10 years of fallen pastors, a- in my opinion. Agreed. It also occurs to me, just as you're saying that, that even that question, which is such a simple question, do you still love Jesus? How you answer that question also speaks to practicalities in the church. The odds are good that if your fire has grown cold for the Lord, there are things that are out of balance in your church too. So there are organizational and practical difficulties that accrue when we're not minding those little things. Do you think that that's true? I totally think it's true. You can't fake this very long. Yep. And I know uh, the church is too demanding of our spiritual core to fake it. You know, it's like trying to fake that you're in shape. Well, you can only run about a mile and a half or you, it's apparent to everyone you're not in shape. And I think the same thing with pastoral ministry. You can only do this so long if you're not in shape because mm-hmm. you'll, you'll collapse. Mm-hmm. I think for me, the very first memory verse my parents helped me memorize as a kid, they obviously had a dog in the fight, but it was Ephesians 6.1. 
Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother that it may go well with you and that you'd live a long life on the earth. And for me as a little kid, it just got deeply instilled in me that there are people who can save my life. There are people who will protect me, but I have to submit, I have to honor, I have to ask questions. So my parents were constantly sending me and I had 10 and 12 aunties and uncles in the faith who I could go and say, hey, is there anything you see about my life that could be better? How do you save money? How do you stay married a long time? How do you raise children? And I think so many of us young folks, we think that we've got the world by the tail and we can just do this and it's always going to be good. And uh, man, talk to people who've logged miles with God. Talk to people who have lived. Talk to people who've lived through difficult economic times. Talk to people who have suffered heartache. Talk to people who've gone to the hospital a lot and done lots of funerals and sort of ask for that Ecclesiastes sort of wisdom Yes, and you'll be fine. But Andrew, to the question of when do you know when authority is working right in the church? I think when the leader trembles the people are safe. James, the brother, half-brother of Jesus says, not many of you should want to be teachers. Like, don't you think this is cool? Like, you better tremble about this responsibility. And so when the leader trembles, when the leader lives before the Lord with that sobriety of spirit, I think the people can follow safely. The people can chase that. There's gonna be safety. So when the leader trembles and when the young ones chase the wisdom of the elders, you're gonna look up and find life. We have a good thing happening at that point. So your personal life, we want people speaking into us on a personal level. What are some other areas that you want people speaking into your life, Pastor Brady? Well, I want people to ask me about my theology. I mean, don't assume that just because someone can crack open the Bible and share three quick points, that they have their Trinitarian theology, their Father, Son, Holy Spirit lined up accordingly, right? And so from time to time, actually on a regular basis, you and I had this conversation, Andrew, today actually. I was just asking you about an interpretation of a scripture that I'd heard someone give, and I was I was just unsure of it. And I said, Dan, Andrew, what do you think about that? What do you think about the interpretation of that particular passage? I think a lot of pastors fall into this trap of being the God expert. And so they they don't feel vulnerable or they don't even have permission to question mm-hmm. and to doubt and to wrestle with the deep, troubling questions of Scripture. But listen, the Scriptures are it's complicated. It's not uh, trivial. It's difficult. And I think there's a lot of pastors who don't have anyone to bounce ideas off of, and so they just run ahead, they charge ahead with big ideas, but they don't have a group or team of anyone that can really challenge them and say, hey, do you know there's four other ways to think about that? You know, <laughs> almost every passage of Scripture has about four different angles from four different authorities that you can, you know, you don't you just don't assume that everything you're saying is correct. I think pastors are best when they present the scriptures with authority, but they come open-handed a bit and say, listen, the scriptures have been wrestled with, this passage has been misunderstood, Uh, we should consider different viewpoints on this scripture. Now, again, the absolutes are the absolutes. I agree with that. The absolutes of our faith are the absolutes of our faith, but there is a great deal of scripture that should be held a bit with tenderness and Mm open-handedness. And I think pastors need to have people in their lives who can at least have a conversation with them about their theological choices. Mm -hmm. I love that. Okay, so personal life, theology, give us one more area where pastors need people watching over them. Your spending, your money. Mm -hmm. This is both inside the church and at your house, okay? And the reason I separated this from your personal life is because I wanted our personal life to be about marriage, family, your walk with Jesus, uh, then your theology. 
But listen, the way we spend our money reflects our heart, okay? Now, pastors are notorious for (laughs) saying that to their congregation, right? Tithing is worship. Giving is worship. The way you give is a part of your worship. We've all used those phrases when we receive offerings in the church, and everything I just said is true. What happens, though, is we stop asking that of ourselves because we don't have anyone challenging us. Well, how are you spending your money? How are you preparing yourself? Are you being a good steward? And I have a couple of people in my life that know every detail. In fact, uh, at our last elders meeting, I said to my elders, I want you to know everything that's going on with me financially. And I shared some really personal, like private information with my elders because I wanted them to know this is where I am. This is what's going on in my home. I have two kids that are in college right now. I have one that's a junior in high school. She'll be in college soon. And I said, I want you to know where I am. I'm 51 years old, and I am facing some financial challenges ahead of me that are new to me with college and all these you know, extra expenses. Mm-hmm. So I want you to know where I am. And I, so I just laid it out to them. This is what's happening in my home with my money. And it was, you could just see the the weight of the room go down. Like my elders started giving me some input. They started giving me some advice. They were so helpful. They respected that. And it helped me. I walked out of there feeling covered. Like there was no secrets between us. And I don't share that kind of private information with everybody. And obviously that requires a great deal of relationship and trust to, to divulge that kind of information. But I felt better. I felt covered. I felt blessed that I was able to share that kind of information and not be rebuked or discouraged. I was actually being helped. The devil works in the silences. Yes, he does. And when you are able to invite people into the silences, when you're able to say, here's what my life looks like behind the curtain. Here's what I'm wrestling with. Here's what I'm scared of. Here's what I'm excited about. When you can invite trusted, wise counselors into the silences, the enemy's power is broken off of us. If you walk in the light as he is in the light, you have fellowship and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses. So authority is submitting yourself to people who have logged miles with the Lord and inviting them into the silences to speak wisdom. I keep thinking about the proverb that says, in an abundance of counselors, there is victory. That when we open our lives up in this way, it actually better positions us to succeed in the things that God has called us to do. With the time that we have left, guys, um, just answer this question for me, because this is the death of ego. Mm Mm-hmm. To do this is the death of ego. And you don't really just do it casually. You have to, it takes a concentrated spiritual effort to put yourself in this place. How do we fall in love? How do we begin to fall in love with the discipline of submission and openness and accountability to others? Well, one of the stories that I actually just shared this with a young leader who wants to be a pastor, and and I was telling him my idea about submitting to authority. I said, when my kids were little and they started walking, I would take them for walks around the neighborhood, and the sidewalk was our friend. It was a boundary that I established for my kids because I knew if they stayed on the sidewalk and within distance of me, they were going to be safe because I was going to be attentive about all of their safety needs. I knew that if they ran away from me and into the busy street, there was only a few feet away that the potential of danger and death was right there only a few feet away. But if they would stay within the prescribed boundaries, that we could have fun, we could be joyful, we could talk, we could laugh, we could sing, we could do whatever we wanted to do on that walk. But if they got outside the boundaries, I would raise my voice. And there were many times that Abram and Callie, when they were tiny little kids, would kind of wander away. Uh, They'd get distracted and they would walk toward that busy street with cars going by. And I would raise my voice and say, stop. And I would use a tone of voice that I would never use any other time, except I was trying to save their life. 
And this is what I tell young leaders. We are walking a path right now, and it is fraught with danger. There's danger on every side of us. And if you don't think that's true, Google fallen pastor and listen to the stories of really talented leaders who are no longer in pastoral ministry because they did not have anyone in their life to say, stop. They just wandered off into the street and got ran over by our enemy. I can just tell you two dozen stories right now, fresh on my mind, of pastors who wandered off into the street and got ran over because they did not have anyone to say stop. So just like a good parent would tell their kids with a strong voice, no, stop. And you teach your kids to respond to that particular tone of voice because they hear danger in your voice. Mm -hmm. And they're able to stop and they freeze, right? And they come back to the place of safety. This is what all I'm trying to describe right now to pastors. Do you have anybody in your life who, if they say stop, you will freeze and stop and not go into the place of danger? What we're talking about today will save your life and ministry, I promise. To him who lacks wisdom, let him ask. God doesn't say, if you lack wisdom, I'm just going to force it on you. But to the one that lacks wisdom, ask and God will give it to you graciously without finding fault. And so realize that right around you, it may be hidden right now, right around you, God has planted a community of wisdom. And if you'll just ask, you will receive the gift. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Essential Church Podcast. Our goal is always to strengthen and provoke the thinking of church and ministry leaders. And so if you found this or any episode helpful to you, please go to iTunes and leave us a review. Your reviews help leaders just like you find our podcast. And if you have any comments or suggestions on people or topics you'd like for us to cover, be sure to let us know via social media. And of course, please do share this and other episodes you find helpful around the web. Grace, mercy, and peace be with you. Mm-hmm.